Welcome to the Monterey Podcast. For more information, check out our website at montereychurch.com. Well, let me invite you to hear the word of the Lord from John chapter 1. After an opening prologue, the writer has introduced us to John the Baptist, uh, his interaction with some of his disciples, and then these words beginning at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And so they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I don't know about all of us, but maybe you've been a part of conversations where emphasis was given to the importance, perhaps even the power, of first impressions. Uh, You go for a job interview. First impressions often set the stage for the rest of the interview. Uh, Maybe you meet someone for the first time. First impressions whether right or wrong, may shape your relationship with that person from that point forward. Maybe you've met folks and your first impression was, you know, that woman is incredibly humble. I think I would like to know more about her. Or maybe your first impression was, he is the most arrogant person I've ever met. Maybe the initial moments of the conversation led you to conclude that the person you're visiting with is incredibly intelligent, or maybe the first impression is, you know, that person has absolutely no clue what they're talking about. The power of first impressions. And so here's my question. When people met Jesus for the first time, what do you think their first impressions were? Uh, For example, the religious leaders who met Jesus when he was 12 years of age in the temple courts Remember that moment in Luke's gospel where Jesus and his parents have gone to Jerusalem for the Passover festival? And when they find Jesus missing and return to Jerusalem, he's there interacting with those religious leaders. What do you think their first impressions were? What about the man that we are introduced to in Mark chapter 5 who is possessed with demons? We know him as legion. What do you think his first impressions of Jesus were? What about the rich young ruler? What about Zacchaeus? What about Nicodemus? What about the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4? What were their first impressions of Jesus? Well, in this series that we have titled The Rest of the Story, we have primarily focused on episodes in the life of the Apostle Peter. Moments in his life that made all the difference in the world as the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter 
came. As we have observed regarding Peter's life, uh, moments that often represent a roller coaster ride for Peter. Mountaintop experiences where Peter is confessing at the top of his lungs, I believe in Jesus, and then those valley moments where Peter is denying that he even knew Jesus. But for all of those moments, we're able to say, but that's not the rest of the story. There is another chapter, another piece of the story. Well, this morning, I want you to think about those moments when Peter met Jesus for the first time. Now, when you look at Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the gospel accounts uh, will, will vary just a bit, but I'm not so concerned this morning about the chronology as I am about those first impressions. And so, for example, when you read Matthew and Mark, Matthew chapter 4 and Mark chapter 1, our first introduction of Jesus and Peter together is that moment when the writers say that Jesus was walking by the Sea of Galilee and he calls four fishermen to come and follow him, Peter, Andrew, James, and John. Not a whole lot of details regarding what their first impressions were in those two accounts. Gospel of Luke is different. In fact, in the Gospel of Luke, after the baptism of Jesus and after the temptation scene in the wilderness, Jesus returns to Galilee, preaching in the synagogues, beginning to perform miracles. He goes to his hometown, Nazareth, where he is rejected, and then he goes to Capernaum, teaches in the synagogue, heals a demon-possessed man, and then this moment, Luke chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus left the synagogue and went to the home of Simon. Now Simon's mother-in-law was suffering from a high fever, and they asked Jesus to help her. And so he bent over her and rebuked the fever, and it left her. She got up at once and began to wait on them. That's the first reference we have in the Gospel of Luke to Jesus and Simon Peter being together. And so can you imagine Peter's first impression? Mother-in-law jokes aside, Peter obviously joins with the rest of the family as they experience uh, incredible celebration, the gratitude that flows from their hearts because his mother-in-law has been healed. And then without missing a beat, the next line in the Gospel of Luke chapter 5 says, one day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break, and so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them, and they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord, I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they had taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. And then Jesus said to Simon, Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And so they pulled their boats up on shore, left everything, and followed him. It's one of my favorite stories in the Gospel of Luke. 
As we reflect on it for just a moment, I want you to think again about first impressions, the impressions that Peter would have had of Jesus on that particular occasion. In fact, if I were going to preach purely from that text this morning, I would say to you that that text, in my judgment, provides a capsule version of the entire gospel story. It is a story that teaches us about the power and the grace of Jesus. In fact, the initiative of Jesus. Peter and his companions do nothing to earn or to deserve what happens. It is Jesus telling them, put out your boats into the water and let down your nets for a catch. And they catch so many fish that their boats barely contain the fish. And then we watch that moment where Peter is on his knees before Jesus, maybe realizing the gravity of his sin more so than at any other point in his life. And his statement is, Lord, go away from me. I'm a sinful man. But rather than Jesus sending him away, Jesus says, Simon, I want you to follow me and I will make you a fisher of people. And those four fishermen pull their nets, their boats up on the shore, they leave everything, and they follow Jesus. If I were purely preaching that story, we'd talk about all of those details. But I want to leave that hanging for just a moment because we'll actually circle back to that story next Sunday and along with it look at another story, John chapter 20, that also talks about Peter and fishing. Where I want to land today for just a few moments is the initial story I read in John chapter 1, the first encounter between Simon and Jesus in that gospel account. Listen to the last two verses again in the section I read a moment ago. The first thing that Andrew, the brother of Simon, who had spent the day with Jesus, the first thing he did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. I think all of us would acknowledge very quickly, names are important. In fact, if I walk up to you and I call you by a name that is not your name, uh, you may say either Barry is just clueless or you may get pretty perturbed. Names are important. And for all of those of you in the room who are parents, you will remember, I suspect, all of the conversations that you had prior to the birth of that child, that boy, that girl, all of the conversations where the determination was ultimately made, here is the name we're going to give to that child. It may have been a biblical name. It may have been a family name. It might be a name from history or from culture or of a person you admire. But you will recall all of the time that you spent choosing that name. You did not take that task lightly. Now, take it a step further and think about the significance of a person's life when a name change takes place. In our culture, that probably has to do with our last names more than anything else. And so we think about a, a wedding ceremony. We think about the marriage covenant, where typically the wife will take the last name of the husband. The significance of that marriage covenant, the changing of the names. You'll also recognize that there are various people throughout history who have changed their names for a variety of reasons. And we see some of that in Scripture, especially when God changes the name of a person. 
Sometimes in very small ways and yet some significance in terms of the changing of the name. Abram becomes Abraham. Sarai becomes Sarah. Jacob, a name that means the deceiver and hopefully you know the history of Jacob. Jacob becomes Israel, the one who struggles with God. The image is of one who overcomes with God. The apostle Paul in the New Testament, we know him initially as Saul by his Hebrew name, but as he begins to minister to a predominantly Gentile world, we know him by his Greek name, the name Paul. And then the story of Peter. The name Simon, a rather common name in the Hebrew culture that meant listen or hearing, and there's obviously significance even in that name. But when Jesus and Simon meet, and think again about the conversation, when Jesus and Simon meet, Jesus says, your name will no longer be Simon. Your name will be Cephas, the Hebrew background, which translates to the word Peter. Rock. Maybe a small rock, but the idea is foundation. The idea is one who is solid, one who is firm. And so imagine that conversation. Andrew brings Peter to Jesus, and he says, Jesus, I want you to meet my brother Simon. And Jesus says, good to meet you, Simon. By the way, from this point forward, I'm going to call you Cephas. I'm going to, I'm going to call you Peter. Can, can you imagine uh, Peter's emotions? For first impressions now. Can you imagine Peter's emotions, the thoughts, the feelings that must have gone through his mind? Like so many other episodes in Peter's journey of faith, I, I suspect he has no clue as to what has just happened. And yet might I also suggest that this moment in his life in so many respects will affect the rest of his life. It will change the rest of the story. Jesus is telling Peter from the moment he meets him that he's going to be transformed, that he's going to be changed, that he's going to be made new. And I want you to reflect on that as we think about all of those different episodes we've talked about in Peter's life and as we wrap up this series next Sunday. Yes, when we look at Peter's life, it is a roller coaster ride in many respects, but I really believe that initial moment changes the direction of his life as the next chapter and the next chapter and the next chapter are written. And I also want to remind us, as we think about the changing of his name, I also want us to remember that Scripture very directly tells us as followers of Jesus that we have been made new, that we have been given a new name. So many texts we could look at. 2 Corinthians 5 always comes to my mind. Paul says, if anyone is in Christ... The new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. Through the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we have been made new. We have been given a new name. And that shapes the rest of our story. We are invited to lean into the hope that the resurrection of Jesus brings. We are invited to lean into that hope when we face challenges, when we face temptations. We're invited to lean into that hope and to live lives of character and faithfulness in this world. And I've got to tell you, church, from my vantage point, when I think about that kind of imagery, it is fascinating to look at the way God is at work in the lives of this church. 
And so we've had the privilege of hearing stories from a number of our brothers and sisters throughout this series. And today, let me invite Jay and Atlanta to go ahead and join me. Uh, today, it's going to be my privilege to interact for just a few minutes with Jay and Elena Cornell. don't know how many of you have had the privilege of getting to meet and to know this couple. Uh, they have been married for 19 years. have been at Monterey uh, since 2015. They began their journey together as a blended family, uh, but also were blessed with uh, a daughter, Nicole, and uh, uh, they came to Monterey in 2015, but it was really uh, when their daughter died. Uh, the reference that Jay made in the little clip a moment ago was really when their daughter, Nicole, died at age 16 that I got to know this family and began to love and appreciate uh, their journey of faith. And so we want to hear part of their story this morning. I think, Elena, you're planning on jumping in first, and so share with us what you'd like about, uh, about y'all's journey. Well, about 21 years ago, I was a single parent with two children, and I met this wonderful man and his precious daughter, and we got married, and we blended our families together, and we had a very nice family unit for, a, for quite some time. And then? Well, as you heard in the clip, uh, our lives completely changed forever. Uh, on that day, we lost our reality. We lost our identity. Uh, and the, the next few weeks and months thereafter, we uh, more or less lived in a fog. Uh, just had lost our reality as we knew it. And uh, through the goodness and kindness of the Lord, he uh, has uh, restored us, restoring us day by day. Uh, we went through uh, several grief share classes together, some of them here at Monterey at the time, and uh, that has given us uh, tools and a foundation to uh, more or less face our, our new reality uh, as it was. But the, the most profound things that I, I want to share with you is... Uh, the complete goodness, goodness of our God. Uh, he, in his gentle ways, has uh, given us hope when we had lost all hope. Uh, just slowly restoring us back to uh, what he wants us to be. And really, this is a story about him and his goodness. How he's impacted our lives. He has... Uh, plainly and clearly told us that your lives are not about you. This is my story, and you just have a part in it. And uh, I have a whole heart full of gratitude for that because I have no control. All I have is uh, a heart that's willing to uh, answer the calling of the Lord and uh, to stand up, deny myself, take up my cross, and follow Jesus. Uh, he's the way, the truth, and the life. There is no other. I don't know how more plain I can be about that. Uh, and from moving forward, uh, uh, we've wrestled with life uh, on and off uh, daily, like we all do. But uh, the good news is, is that... Uh, we don't have to do that. We can give our first fruits in the mornings to Christ. 
we cried a lot of tears back then in pain, intense pain. But now I cry tears every morning in humility for the gift of, of Jesus, for the re, re, uh, redemption that he has given our family. That we can stand up here on the stage with joy in our hearts and with a new excitement as we face each and every day to see what, what's Jesus going to do today. He's going to do something. And uh, through the months that have followed here, we've uh, worked with uh, Joey and Barry and uh, have decided that the Lord has spoken to us and we want to bring grief share back to Monterey. And uh, we're very excited to say that this program will be back in August, on August 25th. And Joey has helped us uh, to assemble a team of uh, uh, members that have uh, experienced the same pain and hurt and brokenness in their life. And we are uh, working together at this time to uh, present a program uh, for the brokenhearted and hurting that are, are, are here with us and uh, developed a strong love and a passion for those that are brokenhearted and they're hurting. And uh, God is calling us to, uh, to do something about it. So we're going to answer that call. And we're, uh, we're very pleased to, to tell you that this morning. And uh, I want you guys to know that this is the best part of my life right <laughs> here. This woman has... Uh, tolerated me when I can't tolerate myself and uh, and I am blessed more ways than I can possibly count well obviously the two of you have traveled uh, quite a journey Uh, 19 years uh, in marriage 21 years in terms of first meeting each other Uh, but to walk through the death of a child obviously your world is turned upside down and I said in the first assembly Uh, All of us sitting in this room have walked through moments that uh, there is no way in the world that we want to walk through those kind of moments again. In fact, if I were to look at them and say, uh, would you like to experience that again? The answer would be absolutely not. And yet, as I pray we are learning throughout this series, no matter what we walk through, God is present. And beyond God's presence, it is the power of community. But God is present God is working, God is changing, God is transforming, God is making us new. And I think in many of those moments, God is also equipping and preparing us to bless others who may be walking similar journeys. And so I am so grateful to be a part of a church where folks like these two and others will be blessing others who've lost family members to death, but even beyond that, to be a part of a church where we can talk about ministries like divorce recovery and our recovery ministry for those who are struggling with addictions. Uh, It's all about family. It's all about walking this journey together. It's not the end of the story. There is a rest of the story to tell. Well, let's thank Jay and Alana for sharing with us, and then I want to pray over them. We're just so very, very grateful they are part of our church family, and let's pray blessings upon them. Uh, Father, for the Cornells and the journey uh, that they have traveled, uh, we give you thanks for your presence and for the newness that you have brought to their lives uh, out of the despair and the hopelessness that they certainly experienced in the death of a daughter. 
and now to see the desire of their hearts to bless others. I'm thankful, God, for that. And I pray blessings upon this ministry, and I pray blessings upon all of our ministries as we seek, as we seek to encourage and to give hope to others who are walking difficult journeys as well. And so I lift them up to you today, and I thank you for their marriage, for their family, and I pray blessings on them. In the name of Jesus, amen. Would you stand and let's sing together.